Such a good job, Karen. The nth root of God equals consistency, vulnerability, and fun. Is that, is, am, I, am I good? Yes. I love that. <clears throat> Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before. O my soul, we'll worship his holy name. One more time. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul. We worship his holy name. Lord Jesus, we do worship you. Because you are worthy to be worshipped. You are the greater one. You are a living king who came, who died, who conquered death to forgive us and welcome us home. We love you. Amen. <clears throat> We're going to talk about worship this morning. And you have no idea how hard that was. <laughs> like all shaky. <clears throat> mm. We began a series last week that we are entitling, or we have simply entitled, Back to the Basics. Usually every year, around this time of the year, um, we like to just um, do what sort of feels like taking a step back, sort of centering ourselves, making sure that we're still sort of like tracking with Jesus, and that our vision is his vision. Um, and we thought instead of simply sort of re-pitching the vision, which is that, so that anyone might experience truth, grace, and new life in Jesus Christ, that, that's our strap line. That's, that's never going to change. Um, but we wanted to make sure that the way that we're doing that, like the simple rhythms that we practice as a church community, the basics, if you will, um, that there's a real like uh, understanding of some of the basic things that we just do, maybe things that we do without thinking a whole lot about, things that are easy to take for granted over time, if you're tracking with me. Um, like last week, we talked about just the simple uh, idea of gathering together, just doing this, gathering as a church on a Sunday morning, week in and week out. Why, why do we do that? Why is that important? This week, we're going to talk about worshiping. Um, and before we get too far into that, I want to I wanna give a shout out, and then I want to take an honor, a moment to honor someone in the room. First of all, I met a dude this morning, Jimmy. I always forget to do this, and my wife reminded me, um, but every once in a while, we'll get a brother or a sister who's visiting from an every nation church, someplace else in the country of the world. So every nation is like the family of churches that we're a part of, um, Grace City. And Jimmy's vis visiting from uh, every nation, Peru, via every nation, <laughs> in Denver, Colorado, and he's just passing through for some things that he's been a part of here in Portland. So welcome, Jimmy. Shout out to Every Nation Lima. Um, and then the other thing, this is something that it's, it's I feel like I kind of missed a moment um, because this is going to feel slightly outdated, but it's just, it's actually weighed on me at this point. Um, and it just feels like this is the morning to do it because we're talking about worship. Most of you probably already know this by now, but um, about two months ago, a month ago or so, um, we had a bit of a transition in terms of leadership in our church. So Ben Tassell, who had been leading our worship team for cl close to two years, well over a year and a half, um, which just blessed us all, uh, began a new career at George Fox University. So he's a full-time professor there and, and doing all sorts of super, super cool things. Um, 
but he thought it would be wise for him to just hand off the leadership of our worship team here as a church. And so Hillary Langdon and her husband Jared took over the leadership of our worship team, the tech team. And I just think it's important when there's that sort of transition that we take a moment to honor the people who have served faithfully. So Ben, thank you for the way you led us faithfully. Thank you for your heart of worship. This is a brother, and I know it sounds slightly contrived because I'm saying it from a stage over a microphone, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. This is a brother who has inspired me to love Jesus in ways that I've never experienced in the last 20 plus years. And a big part of that has just been his heart as a worshiper. So thank you, Ben. Can we honor him together now? Uh, During the three minute break, I ran over to Ben and I said, Ben, I'm preaching on worship this morning. What should I say? He actually gave me a really, really good one-liner that I might insert at some point. Um, but, yeah. Let's go to First Chronicles chapter 16. Um, the topic of worship, you could literally open the Bible at any, any place and just, and just go. Just start preaching. Um, because there's a lot of worshiping happening, for better or for worse, in the Bible. Now, while you're turning there... Um, I want to simply just refer to sort of our root text for the, the series. We looked at Acts chapter 2 last week, and there's this little snapshot of the church sort of the, in its um, beginning stages. On the day of Pentecost, one of the leaders, a guy named Peter, stood up, and he, he proclaimed the good news. He said, Jesus is alive, and the Spirit is being poured out. So the invitations for all, repent from your sins, put your faith in Jesus, and come home. Join the family. And like thousands of people responded in the moment. And that was the birth of the church. And then where it's described how they began gathering together. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which for us is essentially the Bible. Um, and the breaking of bread, the gathering together in homes. And towards the end of that little passage, it says that they were together um, going to temple daily, praising God. Um, praising is like a parallel category for worshiping. It's, it's, just, it's an expression of worship. Um, so that's, that's where we're getting this. Worshiping together is just a, a basic, a fundamental aspect of being a part of any worshiping community. Certainly our community. So, 1 Chronicles chapter 16. I'm going to begin in verse 1. I'm going to skip a little bit uh, for sake of time and then read a long chunk. And they brought in the ark of God, they brought it in, and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord and distributed to all Israel, both men and women, to each a loaf of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins. It was a feast. Verse 4. Then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Uh, Asaph was the chief and then he lists some other names, and they were the players of harps and lyres. Um, they were musicians. Asaph uh, was to sound the cymbals. He was the drummer. And Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priests, were to blow trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first appointed that thanksgiving be sung to the Lord by the worship team, Asaph and his brothers. So there's the inception of sung worship in the life of God's people. And then we have a song. What did they sing? What were the lyrics? We're given um, a poem, if you will, that's entitled most of our Bibles simply as David's Song of Thanks. 
Picking back up in verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice And let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. The song ends by saying, then all the people said, amen, and praised the Lord. One might argue that that was the first worship song. Worship. How do you feel about singing songs of praise and adoration to God? Do you like singing songs to Jesus on Sunday morning? I'm getting nods, yes. I'm seeing a couple of like very subtle, like, appreciate the honesty. I've been around long enough, like, I get it. I get it. Some of you are like, I just, I just like singing in general. It's, it's my preferred way of worshiping the Lord. Um, others of you are like, I, I love Jesus. I, I want to worship. I don't necessarily like singing. It's awkward to me. I don't like hearing the sound of my own voice. Mm-hmm. Yep, I get it. Well, let's talk about it. The church worships together. I'm going to break this sermon down into five parts. Number one, what is worship? So we need to define it as best as we can. What is worship? Number two, why worship? And that's the one we need to emphasize. Number three, How? Should we worship? And then four and five, obstacles to worship and invitations for growth. So what is worship? Why is it important? How should we do it? And then what are some of the obstacles that make it difficult for us? And then some practicals, invitations to let grow as as true worshipers of God. You guys with me? All right. So let's see if we can't define this thing. Uh, by the way, you're not going to find like a dictionary definition of worship in the Bible that I'm aware of, and I believe me, I've looked for many, many years. Um, you're not going to find a dictionary definition of most things in the Bible. What you will find is the God who is a personal being revealing himself in relationship, which means the Bible is packed full of stories, real stories of real people encountering God. And then out of those stories, we're able to like sort of form some definitions and form doctrine, which is super helpful. I would define worship like this. Simply, worship is a response. Worship is a response, and it's like most basic essence. Worship is a response. It's something we do as an expression of awe, affection, and supreme adoration. When we encounter something or someone who is worthy, who indeed truly evokes such deep adoration. And it's certainly not limited to singing by any means, but singing is certainly a commonly shared expression. We see it in scripture um, and it's part of our tradition. Contrary to popular belief, uh, singing songs 
as a form of worship is not some like modern, western, evangelical phenomenon. That's just not true. It's been happening since like the Bible times. Worship is a response. I'm just going to reread it. It's something we do as an expression of awe, affection, and supreme adoration when we encounter something or someone who is worthy, who indeed truly evokes such deep adoration. And it's not limited to just singing, but that is certainly a common shared expression of worship. But again, and it's, I think, most, its essence, worship is a response. It's a response to beauty. So that's the what. Now, the why. Why do we worship? Why should we worship? Why is it important? And this, I would argue, is important. The why is supremely important because um, we do worship. Whether you're religious or not, whether you're a Christian or not, whether you skip the first 20 minutes of church or not, like we all worship. Um, In fact, the why... Um, well, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but the, the real question isn't so much why, um, because whether you realize it or not, we all worship. We're all responding to people and things around us that inspire us to sort of like express our awe, express our affection, express our adoration. It could be the, the form of the human body. It could be like uh, the... The, the, the certain notes, the harmonies hit by an orchestra. It could be someone who's just, their, their talent on the field or in the, you know, the, the pulpit. I'm not talking about myself, but people's skills, talents can inspire worship. And so we worship the things that evoke awe, affection, or adoration. And we all do that, whether we realize it or not. Um, some have heard or some said, I've actually said this myself, um, and I'm not sure if I agree with myself anymore at this point, but many have described worship as a kind of a weapon, like a form of like a spiritual warfare. Um, have, you, have you heard this? Have you heard me say this? This idea of when you're facing a battle, a challenge, and and, and deep down inside, you're like, I don't know if I have what it takes to overcome this thing. I, emotionally, I feel like I just, I can't, I'm not going to be able to get over this hurdle. But perhaps if I cry out to God, perhaps God is, is big enough and strong enough and, and faithful enough. And so we, we pray. And then if you begin to sort of search the scriptures, you'll actually find examples of God's people worshiping before the battle. Um, for example... Second Chronicles, chapter 20. It's one story of uh, Israel, God's ancient people, the nation of Israel. They're about to face this, uh, what's described as a horde of, of enemies, people who want to kill them, and God's calling them to go past them. And they know they're going to be wiped out. There's absolutely no way that they're going to be able to survive this situation. And so God instructs his people, assemble the priests, the worshipers, and put them at the front of the army, which is like ridiculous, right? What are you going to fight with, your flute? You're going to like blow your clarinet at, you know, whatever? I used to play saxophone. Any band nerds in here? Really? I'm alone? Thank you, Keenan. Oh, clarinet. Come on, brother. <laughs> I love the clarinet. That's what I'm talking about. Anyone else want to confess? <laughs> I know you're out there. I know you're out there. <clears throat> so the worshipers go before the army in battle. Oh, um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Listen to the words that the worshipers are instructed to sing as they go before the army. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. It's, it's like, it's an imperative. 
So they're singing it as an, as a, an expression of, of like praise. It's worship. But of course, the army themselves are hearing the people who are um, arguably like terrified of what's going to happen. They're hearing this imperative. Give thanks to the Lord for he, for his steadfast love endures forever. Do it. Give thanks to God because his steadfast love endures in all circumstances, in the face of every obstacle, all opposition, his steadfast love endures forever. Is spiritual or is worship a kind of spiritual weapon? Kind of, kind of. I suppose in, in that case, you could say, sure. In a way, it's, it's like this, it's a, it's, a, it's a way of doing battle or appealing to God in the face of impossible circumstances. What about worship as a spiritual warm-up? You know, like before the sermon, three songs in the front, one on the back. Anyone ever been on a worship team? That's usually how it's talked about. What are we doing this week? Three on the front, one on the back. Okay, cool. So you warm them up, and then I'll, I'll knock it out of the park. So I'll do my best. <clears throat> Second Chronicles. Chapter 5, the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple. So the Ark of the Covenant, it was like this golden container that was built as this symbol of where God's presence was to reside. Um, I don't want to get into all of the theological sort of nuance of that, but that's what the Ark of the Covenant is. It's like a golden box. This is where God manifests his presence. And the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple. It was the duty of the trumpeters and singers to make themselves heard in unison in praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. And when the song was raised with trumpets and cymbals and other musical instruments in praise to the Lord, singing, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Same words. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priests couldn't even stand to minister because of the cloud, because of God's presence for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Now, if that's not a spiritual warm-up, I don't know what is. Could you imagine? I'll never forget this story. Oh, my goodness. I'm sure I've told this before, but it's just, it's so good. Um, One of my, a leader that I look up to, I heard him tell the story one time. He was preaching the gospel at this outreach that they were doing in the Philippines. This was many, many years ago, back in the 80s. He tells the story so well. This was uh, during a time, there was like um, civil unrest. I don't know if it was a full-blown civil war going on in the Philippines, but there was extreme civil unrest, and they thought, what an opportunity. Let's take a team of Americans to the Philippines. We'll preach the gospel. And uh, so they filled this little theater full of people, and the, the pastor, my friend that I look up to, he's standing on stage, and he's preaching his heart out. And the auditorium's full. And he looks at the back, and he can literally see a cloud beginning to fill the auditorium. It's like, like, no, this is real. Visibly, he can see it. A cloud is like, it's almost like like someone turned the fog machine on in the back. And he can see this, like, and then all of a sudden, he just sees people, like, starting from the back up to the front, he sees people just weeping, just weeping, weeping. And then he realizes that someone chucked tear gas into the, into, the, into the foyer of this auditorium because there was a riot that was breaking out outside. Is that not funny? <laughs> so it wasn't the presence of God, but this was. This was. The worshipers assembled and they were singing, they were praising God. And, and God inhabits the praises of his people. There's something about it. When God's people assemble, we gather, and we begin to worship God in song. God's presence is there. So in that sense, you could almost think of it as like, man, like singing is like the opening act for like the preaching of the word. Kind of. I want... Um, 
I want to say I, I don't actually agree with that. I think that's, that's perhaps worship in part. This idea of, of worship as a spiritual weapon or this idea of worship as like sort of a, a means of sort of inviting the presence of God into a place. Sure, that's, it's, it's those things in part. But here's my pushback. And this, this might, hopefully this is, because some of you have always heard worship taught in those ways. I know you have. Worship is primarily a response. It's not a means to an end. It's not a spiritual tool that we use in order to somehow like get God to act or get God to show up or get God to fight. Worship is our response to who God is and what he's done. When true worshipers of God begin to worship Jesus in song, or in any way for that matter. It's, it's what happens when we encounter a God who truly evokes awe. Captures our affection. We get caught up in how great, how good, how his steadfast love endures forever. Worship is what happens when we find ourselves caught up in the presence of a God who is worthy of our adoration. Now you might say, well, okay, fine. Why is that distinction important? I think it's important in the same way that love is important, that joy is important, that hope is important. At the end of the day, our life as God's kids And as worshipers, isn't that we're coming to him in order to somehow get something from him. It's realizing that God has come to us. And he hasn't withheld anything good from his kids. He's given us his son. He's given us everything. He's given us the most valuable treasure of all. And when we come to him to worship It's not because he's withholding something from us and if perhaps I can muster enough emotion or if I can just say all the right things or feel sorry enough, then maybe God will do something for me. You know, God's already done so, so much. And worship is truly a response. That's freedom. That is freedom. That's life. Some of you, if I may be so bold, have yet to truly experience that. What, what might it feel like to actually find yourself getting caught up and in, in encountering that God? That's a, that's a heavy, that's a heavy thought. It's too easy to use worship as a means to an end. Worship is a response, which begs the better question. I alluded to this a second ago. The real question isn't why. The question we should truly be asking ourselves is who? Not why should I worship? What should the correct motivation be? It's rather who? Who are you worshiping? Who, um, who's worthy of your affection? Who has captured your heart? Do you know the one? Have you experienced his steadfast love, his goodness? Who? Who? Who are you worshiping? Who are we worshiping when we come together and begin singing songs? The victory has been won. And something much greater than the temple has come. How? How should we worship? Is there a correct, quote unquote, correct way to worship? This is where um, it can get a little sensitive uh, because we're all different. 
Some of us like loud music. Some of us like hymns. Some of us like to sing. Some of us are much more contemplative. And the way we worship um, can look like as many people in this room. And truly, it's a matter of the heart. So just simply even asking the question how can make a lot of us feel very uneasy as if I'm, gonna, I'm about to tell you, well, let me tell you the way you're doing it's wrong. I'm not going to tell you that um, because there is no template, uh, particularly when we're worshiping alone. And I think that, that's a, a helpful distinction as well because right now I'm talking about um, communal worship. When we come together as a church, man, you can worship by yourself and honestly, like, go crazy. Like, get as creative as you want to be. Take your clothes off, sing your songs, dance, cartwheels. That's between you and Jesus. And he's looking at your heart. He's looking at your heart. But when we come together, that, that's, that's different. There's, there's a unique dynamic to that. How should we worship when we're coming together? Um, as I said, there is no template. But we worship together. The same reason we learn together, we eat together, we play together, we repent together, we grow together, we heal together. God's church is a spiritual family and not simply the place that I go to actualize my personal spiritual ambitions. There's a a communal dynamic. And so the question of how um, is particularly relevant to, to the the communal experience. Like, how can we do this together? What does that look like? As opposed to just a room full of individuals each having like our own little private spiritual moment. You can do that whenever, however, but when we come together, how, how do we worship? How do we worship? This is where I would suggest that singing's not a bad idea, actually. And I'm, I'm pretty open. I have thought about this. I thought, what if, what if, are there other ways that we could worship together? I mean, singing seems like an obvious one. It's, it's biblical. Um, most people kind of like it. Even if you're not really into your own voice, most of us at least like good live music if it's done well. But why singing? What if instead of singing, we just danced together? Would you prefer it? Heck no. (laughs) That would be like a legit thing that we could do together. Together. You like do a line dance for Jesus. (laughs) I've done a conga line for Jesus. If we have time, I'll tell you that story before we're done. Um, But how? How do we worship Together, worship, however we do it, and I'm going to get there, worship should be a holistic experience. In the same way that we love the Lord with our heart, mind, and strength, we are to worship the Lord with our emotions, our thoughts, and our bodies. Heart, mind, and strength. Mind. Emotions, body. Most of us get with the mind and the emotions fairly easily, or at least one of the two. Typically, individuals lean a bit more towards, like, I I like to think. Karen's into math, feeling you, sister. Some of you are, like, just raw emotion, only emotion all of the time. And occasionally you'll think a little bit about it. Um, But... More often than not, we're a mixture of those things. Most of us, however, this is based on my personal experience now, have no idea what to do with our bodies in worship. Like, as if, what does that have to do with anything? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about Jesus. I'm exalting God in my thoughts. Um, perhaps I'm, there's some emotional involvement there. I'm, I'm reflecting on how forgiven I've been or how God has been so faithful to bring me through a sickness or a situation, and I just feel almost like compelled to just just cry in gratitude. And so there's usually a mixture of like we're thinking, we're feeling, but what about our bodies? What about our bodies? We are to worship the Lord with our thoughts, emotions, and our bodies 
in a communal gathering, singing is a fantastic way to engage our whole being, especially if we're doing something with our bodies. It could be dancing, it could be swaying, it could be using your vocal cords. There, there's something, there's a physical exertion involved. It could be doing laps around the sanctuary. It could be lying prostrate on the ground. Just as like a, a way of using your body as a symbol of reverence. Awe. I'm in the presence of a holy God. And, and typically when we read about that story in the Bible, the person in that place is like instantly on the ground. Trembling, shaking kneeling. Did you know in the Old and New Testament, I'm talking about the Hebrew and Greek language, worship is the same word used for kneeling or bowing. You can do a simple word search for yourself. That's, that's in the Old and New Testaments in the Hebrew and Greek language. Worship is interchangeable with the word kneel or bow. So in the biblical mind, when we're talking about worshiping, by default, it's something to do with like the posture of my very body. So what do we do with our bodies in worship? I think this is why singing is a good idea, actually. The more I think about it, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. If I'm to worship God, if I'm invited to worship Jesus with my whole being, together, what could be better than singing? The words engage our minds. Uh, oftentimes, music evokes emotion. That's just a, a, just a physiological fact. And then in music, we can, we can use our vocal cords. We're projecting. We're exerting. And that's why oftentimes, I'll lift my hands now, I saw that model before I understood anything about it theologically. I was just mimicking the people around me. But over time, I realized, like, there's something happening when I'm actually using my body in a moment of worship. It's almost like when I'm using my body, like, my mind and my emotions will often kind of be like, oh, we're going that way? Okay. And it's, it's, it's I'm an integrated being. And I'm meant to experience worship in that way, a holistic way. Now, I know for some of you, you're like, dude, I don't care what you say. I am not getting on my knees in worship. I'm not doing that. I, it's, it feels, it's awkward. And don't worry. Let me just qualify everything by saying I have zero interest in pressuring anyone to do anything as an expression of worship. That would completely like, subvert the whole point. This isn't about manufacturing some sort of like, uh, you know, prescripted response. Like, hey, this is what we're all going to do. And during worship, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look behind me and I better see all the hands up because that's, we're going to be that kind of church. Like, no way. Forget about it. That, that's just not, that's not what we're going to do. But, but, big but. I do want to challenge us. How can we experience true worship in a holistic way? manner. This could just be super helpful for you practically. You may think, man, I struggle so much to engage emotionally in worship. I just, I'm just not, I feel like I'm just, I'm not into it. It does nothing for me, which is why I always show up at the end of the third song. That, and I just, I have super poor time management. Okay, let me suggest something to you. If you're struggling to engage emotionally, then engage with your body. See if your emotions may not actually like follow suit. Just try it. Do it as an experiment. Get on your knees. Lift your hand. Dance. Twirl. Lay down. Do something that feels like this, this for me could be an expression of awe, affection, or adoration. And see if your emotions don't perhaps follow you there. See what happens. It's holistic. That's the point. How do we worship? With our mind, with our emotions, and our body. That's right. 
So let me quickly talk about two obstacles. Okay, um, brace yourselves. This is about to get really, really controversial. Okay, um, I'm being serious. So obstacle number one, simply self. This is when worship goes terribly, terribly wrong, when we make worshiping all about me. And we do this, like as a matter of human default, making worship about self. Um, The first and last mention of worship in the Bible, the very, very first time the word worship is mentioned in scripture is Genesis chapter 22. The very last time Worship is mentioned or seen in the Bible is Revelation 22. It's a helpful way to remember. The first and last time we see worship in Scripture, Genesis 22 and Revelation 22. In Genesis 22, this is when Abraham is commanded by God to sacrifice his only son Isaac up on the mountain. And Abraham says, yes, Lord. He obeys. He trusts God, even though it makes zero sense, obviously. He says, yes, Lord. And he takes his son Isaac and they prepare to go offer a sacrifice on the mountain. The sacrifice being Isaac. And we're told that Abraham tells his son, we're going to go over to this mountain and worship. It's the first time we see worship, even the concept of worship, show up in scripture. The very last time, at the very end of the book, Revelation 22, the writer, the seer, John, pen the words that we find in the book of Revelation. He's just spent 22 chapters describing this surreal, powerful vision that he had had. He'd been like caught up in the spirit and this angel's taking him on this guided tour through like heaven and the end times and he's writing it all down. It's crazy. And at the very end, John confesses to us that he actually falls down on his knees and begins to worship the angel who'd given him this vision. The angel is like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 don't do that. Please stand up. I'm a created being just like you. Don't worship me, worship God. And that's super encouraging because this is John the seer. He wrote Revelation. The dude was in tune with the spirit. And even he makes the mistake of falling to his knees and worshiping a fellow created being, albeit a very impressive created being, an angel. He worships the creature instead of the creator. And this is what we do when we make worship about ourself. We put our preferences or our our likes and dislikes and the things, our little theological um, you know, pet peeves. We make all these things central. And all of a sudden, without even realizing it, somehow I've become the center of worship. And like John, I'm, wor- I'm worshiping the creature as opposed to the creator. Here's where it gets controversial. Romans chapter 1. Starting in verse 22, if you've never read Romans, it, the book, the letter written by Paul begins with this sort of um, very bold uh, diagnosis of the human predicament. He's like, we all start broken. Like we're born into a system, a world that's um, cursed. And all sorts of things have gone wrong because of that. And so he's sort of like paints this picture of the problem before he goes on to the good news, which is like, but there's hope because God has made a way. He's not just left left us to figure it out. He's entered into our brokenness, died for us to save us. But so that's where Romans starts. And this is what it says. Chapter one, verse 22, talking about humans. Claiming to be wise, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them, the humans, up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. When we begin worshiping the creature instead of the creator, we forget that our bodies, our actual bodies, are given to us not as instruments of self-gratification, but as a part of our whole being that is designed to honor, enjoy, and ultimately adore our creator. Our bodies... my sexuality and all of my disordered desires can somehow be traced back to an issue of worship. My body has been designed as an instrument of worship. I have desires, talking about sexuality, that I process, surrender to God, and have to deal with on a daily basis. I'm not exaggerating for the purpose of illustration. My sexuality has been a gift and a source of extreme pain in my life. Half, maybe, of the desires that I experience on a regular basis are desires that I do not act on. If I did, um, the results would be very, very painful. And I realized the issue is an issue of worship. Who is my body for? God gave me a body, he gave me a penis, he gave me a sex drive, gave me a mind, why? First and foremost, to honor him, to to use my body as an instrument of worship. This is a very, very hard thing. This is a hard teaching. But when I knew that we would be talking about worship, I knew that we'd be talking about the body, and I knew that we eventually, like, we, we would have to get here. And I hope that this can be heard as an invitation to, to hope and to freedom. It doesn't magically somehow like fix all of the stuff going on inside of me and all the unwanted desires and behaviors and all the stuff that I, I personally have to deal with. But it helps me to reframe like the, the, the complicated stuff of life, not around me, And what I want or I think I need. But around who I was created to worship. When I find myself in in all aspects of life. Not just with my sexuality. Not just with my body. With all of the various aspects of life. When I find myself living in such a way. That it's a response to the beautiful one, to the one whose love endures forever, to my king who is gracious and patient and loving. When I'm living in response to a relationship with that who, with him, I'm now experiencing real life. Life is no longer about me. I'm no longer trying to build a life on a foundation that at very best 
is going to crumble in a few generations. I'm now putting the full weight of my hope and my affection and my deepest desires, sexual and otherwise, on a foundation that cannot be shaken. He won't reject me. He won't stop loving me. His grace knows no bounds. And so it's an invitation not to suppress desire, but to surrender. To give my deepest desires and hopes and pains and dreams and longing for love to be known to the one who can truly fulfill them. That's freedom. That's life. My body is primarily an instrument of worship. I know there's a lot to process there. I'll move on. Okay. Obstacles of worship. Making it about self. Secondly, making it about shame. So this is, this is the, the flip side of everything I just said. Because the enemy, I'm talking about the devil, wants to take what I just said, grab a hold of it quickly, twist it, spin it, and use it against you to bury you under a mountain of shame. And that is arguably one of the greatest obstacles to being a true worshiper. In the beginning, when the woman and the man, they sinned, this is in the beginning, they were, they were naked without shame. So their bodies were, were fully just all good, like little kids running around naked. Just innocent, innocent, beautiful. And they rebelled. Somehow they, they rebelled and they stopped trusting in the goodness of God. And they decided to choose independence over loving relationship with their creator And the result was they became aware of their nakedness and they covered up and withdrew in shame. That's what shame does. Instead of worshiping without inhibition, instead of coming to our creator and saying, this is who I am. I'm weak. I need you. I am thirsty. I am heavy laden. God, would you give me rest? Would you restore me? Would you heal me? Would you give me a a proper foundation to build on? My shame causes me to recoil. And I think that God's going to look at me in disgust. And I believe that the lie that somehow God's going to punish me for my sin versus woo me into his arms that he might cover me. Instead of punishing me, he receives the punishment on himself. He dies for me. But shame would cause me to forget that quickly and recoil and think, oh, you just shamed me. You just called me out because of my sexuality. And now I need to run far from here because everyone's going to look at me and think I'm gross. And God's going to, and see, that's, I knew it. I knew it. I'm not wanted here. I knew it. God thinks I'm, 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 there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Invitation is come, come to me, come to me. You don't need to hide, you don't need to cover up. Worship me, adore me, come into my presence, allow me to fill you, to meet those desires. You don't believe the lie of shame. Don't do it. Often you need a brother or sister in your life or a good pastor who can call out your shame, be like, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, no, no. You don't have to cover up. You don't have to pretend. Tell me, tell me what's really going on. Tell me what you really desire. Tell me how you really feel. Let me listen to you and love on you and hug you and be a good friend to you and remind you that his steadfast love endures forever. You are welcome here. You are loved. Not because who you should be, Not because who you want to be, but because who you are right now. 
right now, right in this place, with all your brokenness and all your disordered desires and all of your confusion, you are loved right here, right now, in this place, because Jesus died for us while we were still a wreck. No shame. Can we stand together, please? Okay, here's the uh, invitation. Oh, the worship team can join me up front, please. Here's the invitation. Um, I kind of hinted at it already, but we're going to worship now in song together. And I want us to figure out a way to engage our bodies. Now, I realize, like, it just got super heavy towards the end. Some of you are, like, still kind of reeling. Like, what did he just say? I don't, I don't know what to do with this. I get it. I get it. Okay. Um, I get it. And so I don't want this to be like too abrupt for you. Like you might just need to kind of be quiet for a minute and, and think. Um, or, or maybe take all of that emotion, all of that like ah, feelings, angst, insecurity, and bring it to Jesus. Like, can you do something with this? Can you help me process this? Because this is just too heavy. Let's take advantage of the moment. Let's take everything you're feeling and thinking and, and perhaps use it as like fuel for worship. Jesus, here I am. Your steadfast love endures forever. And I don't have all the answers, but you are the faithful one. And so I'm going to worship you now. And I want to invite you to come out of the pews and uh, use the space and uh, maybe get outside of what feels normal or comfortable and maybe kneel, maybe lift a hand. If you're like just wanting to, to do it, like start a conga line around... You can do that. If you want to dance, if you've been like, if you're one of these people where you bring your little like spirit ribbon with you to these things every Sunday and you're just like hoping one of these weeks I'm going to get this out and I'm just going to start twirling that thing and it's just going to be just a charismatic dream come true. Whatever. But let's, let's all like just take a baby step. Take a baby step. For some of you, that might mean like taking off like your shoes as a, as a symbol of like this is a holy moment it's a holy moment, I'm going to take off my shoes for some of you it might be laying prostrate that's just a, a fancy word for like laying flat on your face for some of you that mean, might mean like metaphorically getting up off your face Being, I was once dead and now I'm alive I'm a child of God I'm going to do cartwheels down this aisle for others of you, it could just mean, I'm just going to like sway. Or I'm actually going to sing out loud. How about that? Some of you are like, I don't even sing out loud. I dare you. I did it. I was shaking up there. Anyway, you guys get it. While we're doing all of that, you're also invited to receive communion. Um, we're not going to hold the elements this week. Um, They're just going to be sitting right there for you to utilize during this time of worship. The bread and the juice represent the body and the blood of Jesus. He gave his life for us so that we can be forgiven and adopted in the family of God. It's something for Christians. If you're not a Christian, then please don't feel any pressure uh, to engage in communion, although the invitation is for everybody. Okay, now, the worship team, it's your job to, to just make all of that happen. Okay, so you got to just like, just just blow the roof off, all right? Just, just, no, I'm kidding. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, not to make this into a moment where we're feeling pressure to do something or, or like we're just manufacturing some emotional moment. But Lord Jesus, we, we want to grow in, in, in worshiping you with our, our whole being. 
with our thoughts, our feelings, and even our bodies themselves. So would you help us? The Father desires true worshipers, those who would worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, if that's your desire, we're saying yes. We, we want to meet you there. We want to fulfill your desire. Would you help us? Would you help us to worship? In Jesus' name, amen.